Welcome to What Should I Do With My Life? Figuring it out from those who seem to have it all figured out. I'm your host, Stephanie Horowitz. When's the last time you stopped and asked yourself, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? Do I even like this? Join me as we hear the inspiring stories of real people to find out what they did and are doing with their lives. Are they satisfied? Would they have done anything differently? Maybe through these stories, we will figure out how to bring more meaning and passion in our day-to-day. Hi everyone, we have a very special guest today, and it's fitting that today's episode is shared on Cambodia's Independence Day. Live from Phnom Penh, Cambodia, you'll be hearing from the multi-talented Patri Derek Pan, or Derek. Derek has a really special story. He moved to America with his family at the age of four from a refugee camp in Thailand after his parents survived the Cambodian genocide. His passion for getting his heritage and history the representation it deserves has been the northern star that has propelled him through the many successes in his life. In this episode, Derek discusses what inspired him to found Kumairikan, a successful global media outlet whose goal is to strengthen and connect Cambodian diaspora communities and spotlight the achievements and important narrative of Khmer Americans. He shares about how he uses the tools learned from his monkhood in his business world and talks about celebrating the second anniversary of his modeling agency, Perfect 10, where he represents the next generation of Cambodian talent. There's so much more I wanted to talk to him about. I hope you enjoy. Here's Derek. But let's just do it. So let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. What's going Mm -hmm. on in, are you in Phnom Penh right now? Yes, I'm in the capital in uh, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. It's nice and sunny. It's been raining for, for a few weeks and it's been flooding. So it's one oh. of the worst floodings in years. The sun is out tonight, blistering, and uh, can't wait to have my tacos, my Friday rituals. The I Friday rituals, Friday. tacos. Yeah, one dollar tacos from uh, from a guy from San Francisco, <laughs> Cambodian American. Yeah, it's my I Friday love ritual. That. I brought... <laughs> what kind of tacos? What's your favorite? Um, I like the soft the soft uh, tortilla type tacos. Uh, they have four types of beef, and uh, and uh, I usually pick uh, chicken and beef. Yes. Well, let me know how they taste today. Really excited to have you on the podcast and for you to share your story. The the backstory of how we know each other, which is really funny, I'll just share real quickly, is that one of my closest friends here in Israel, Tali, after her after the army, hi Tali, after the army, she went to Cambodia and the story goes and tell me if this is true that she had to use a restroom badly and she was visiting a temple and no one could direct her to a restroom. And at the point, I believe you were a monk and you answered in perfect English, like, oh, the restroom's right over here. And she was like, what? And then you guys ended up getting together and hanging out um, and staying in touch. And then when I went to Cambodia three years ago, we caught up and we met up twice and I had so much fun and I loved, learn. I learned so much from you and you shared your story and your family background and what you're doing and I was fascinated by it and I, I love it. So I'm really excited to share more about that. Is that story true, by the way, the bathroom story? That true? is very accurate, 110% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So let's just dive in. One sentence, can you share what you do? Ooh, yeah. I've been thinking of what that perfect one-liner is. I curate Cambodian diaspora content and I foster the next generation of Cambodia-based talents. Uh, and that's what I've been doing the last four years with the, the last part of my tagline. But the work I've been doing for news and media 
that's been for 15 years, nine years. If you do count officially with my uh, company, Myrkin, which celebrated its anniversary in September. 10 years. That's amazing. So I can't wait to unpack all of this. Let's take a step back. So you were saying, obviously, that a huge part of what you've been doing is connecting the Khmer American community, the diaspora. Um, can you share a bit about your background and what inspired you to work in bringing together this community? For me, the, to move to the very critical point in my life where Khmer American became an idea was June, July 2011, when I was living in Brooklyn, New York, and I was now two years into the, my residency there. I hit like a midlife crisis at like 31 or 32. I was like, man, what am I doing here in New York? I love it here, but it's so expensive. It's kicking my butt. The The winter's kicking my butt. Everything is really kicking my butt. I'm not <laughs> going to, I didn't get what I wanted to achieve in terms of employment and my career to work. I struggled and hustled for two years, but I try to make sense out of my two years and find peace and find goodness in my two years there. And that goodness was, Although I didn't get to work for the UN or any major human rights organization that I was aspiring to, to attain, I got connected to Cambodian communities all along uh, the East Coast. I'm a Seattle product. I'm West Coast product. So most of my uh, connections and relationships with uh, student leaders, community leaders, business leaders in my uh, communities were pretty West Coast centric. And so living in New York got gave me opportunities to go to the to a lot of cities like Providence, the fifth largest, Philadelphia, the fourth largest, Boston area, this, uh, the third largest, DC area, even as south as Atlanta, where there's a, a proud uh, emerging Cambodian community. So for me, Khmerican and the news brand came about that one late night, just questioning my existence and questioning why I'm here still at 32 in Brooklyn. I had owned the domain since 05. I comfortable in saying that I popularized that word. You know, Khmerican to me is a is a mesh, is a beautiful invention of who I identify myself as as a as a hybrid Khmer, ethnic Khmer with American roots and upbringing. And so Khmerican to me was a response to what I felt lacking in the in the state, city, county, and national news outlets. Cambodian Americans were not were underrepresented. That speaks for all communities of, of color in general, or uh, Southeast Asians um, as in general. And when they did get portrayed in the LA Times, the New York Times, or the smaller papers, we were always put in negative light. You know, we're a refugee community. We we struggle like all refugee communities that came out of as a product of war and genocide. Uh, but there were a lot of great stories coming out of the Philadelphias, the Providences. And the Brooklyn's and all these communities that I got to visit. So I came to a realization that Khmerican.com was that national news outlet that kind of wanted to share an, a different narrative that wasn't getting coverage on local or uh, regional or, or, or national outlets. And, and that's where my journey to this very day, going nine years strong with, with Khmerican, um, you know, and that's what kept, that's what brought me back to Cambodia, just this, mm -hmm. this vision to expand the brand out in this region and also expand the coverage to the uh, Oceania where uh, Cambodians exist in large numbers there in Australia, New Zealand, and eventually in Europe, especially with the French speaking nations. Uh, there's a lot of Cambodians there. So there's there's expansion plans to be 
in those two uh, continents uh, in the very, very near future. So much I want to ask. It's really quite an achievement that you built something that's really bringing together a diaspora of people who are kind of scattered all over the world and helping to put your story and their stories in the spotlight where it belongs. As you said, it's very, you know, these Cambodian stories and people and successes are underrepresented in the media. I'm, I'm wondering many things. First of all, what kind of content were you producing and sharing and who was following? Was it really Americans? Who was following and were Cambodians living in Cambodia following? Are they interested in the diaspora? The content that we cover, Stephanie, were a wide range of uh, contemporary relevant topics that was happening in U.S. community, U.S. Cambodian communities. So we covered uh, stories, doing profiles of rising students, uh, entrepreneurs, community leaders. We love doing uh, university events coverage. There's around 35 to 40 Cambodian student associations in the U.S. You know, there's over 100 Cambodian 150 Cambodian temples. So we did a lot of stories on the elders community, uh, religious leaders. A lot of it was arts and culture focused. And the early beginnings, uh, who read it to address that question? Mostly people in U.S., in continental U.S. Uh, Hawaii, Honolulu has a small Khmer population. They were reading, most of the people were reading, I would say the first year, 60 to 70% were U.S., Canada readerships. As we grew and became an official business registered in the state of Delaware, in uh, 2012, it grew to other diaspora communities like France, like Australia, like uh, Germany, like uh, New Zealand. Those are like the top five or seven uh, large pockets of, of the diaspora. We, we reach an apex of around 2.5 to 2.75 million monthly readers around three years ago. Many of our readers weren't uh, of my descent. You know, mm-hmm. I remember giving a quote to uh, previous press, I, they, when they asked a similar question, they asked like, why do you think a lot of people read it? There's only, there's only around 300 million, uh, 300,000, 400,000 at max Cambodians in the U.S. And you have, mm-hmm. you claim there's over 2.5 million readers who are reading it. I mm-hmm. think for me, stories of inspiration is always going to raise, it's going to across all ethnic racial lines. It's beautiful to read about a story of a, of a senior citizen who, uh, who escaped war and genocide came to the U.S., found new life, found new uh, meaning in their lives, and that story is being shared. Or a young, a young woman, you know, who raised by a single parent and happened to be Khmer, and now she's winning the best uh, top uh, scholarship to go to an Ivy League. Mm-hmm. These stories doesn't matter if they're Cambodian or a Native American. It touches you because it's powerful, and and people look beyond racial ethnic lines, uh, and that's why lots of reshares, lots of viewership. And I think that's that's our secret ingredient. Like we find stories that are just underrepresented because when you see stories of people color in the newspaper, it's always it's not always like there's a lot of negative light and coverage of a black African-Americans in, in the U.S. and uh, other refugee communities that are uh, are newer than the, the recent arrivals. They're always there's always stories that sort of seem like more negative and more uh, not as empowering as it can be. There's a lot of great stories out there. And I think. And we're just one of many new uh, immigrant communities that has contributed to us you know definitely and it i yeah it makes a lot of sense that these success stories and you know immigrants coming to a new country who've survived genocide and lost everything and starting anew are 
succeeding and thriving. And it's extremely inspirational. People want to see that. I agree. It crosses all ethnic or racial lines. I'm wondering, you said that when you were in New York, you said you were kind of pursuing something to work for the UN or human rights. And then you ended up opening this media outlet that's related to your heritage and who you are. Was anyone surprised? Did your friends and family think all along you would kind of do something like this? Was this a shock to anyone or were they like, yeah, that sounds about right? I think to my family, they're not, it's not, they're not a complete shock, you know, because uh, I was always writing for other people before. I've always interviewed amazing people, discovered them, they discovered me, and we did our best to, uh, to spotlight them through uh, different forms and different uh, publications that I had access to. My family, I think, weren't really surprised. I, they know that I'm very ambitious. They know that I have a vision in, in what I do. And so when I made this bold statement, I said, hey, mom, I'm coming back. I'm going to stay at your place for a little bit and I'm going to move to Long Beach. That's where I'm going to put the office. They kind of just trusted me. I'm the youngest of seven kids and I've always been the one that's just running around doing his own thing and checking up on them every now and then thousands mm -hmm. and thousands of miles away. You know, I've been alone, independent since 18 to 40. Mm -hmm. I've never really stayed with my folks for more than a couple of months, just in transition or just on a little vacation. They're not surprised. When I was entering the University of Washington in 98, I was pre-law. I was interested in law school. I always wanted to focus on entertainment law. Uh, and that's why mm -hmm. I think uh, this interest in entertainment law at my early uh, uh, years as a college student kind of had a little impact on what I do now with my modeling agency, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. But I've always wanted to represent Southeast Asians, people of color who had aspirations in entertainment and sports. And so I wanted to pursue that in America. You can't join. You can't go to law school as an undergrad. So right. I learned um, I was focusing on Southeast Asians history and culture and politics was very active with the Asian Student Commission. I was very active with the Khmer Student Association and doing what I do now uh, with with American at nine years old and with Perfect Ten, the modeling agency. In many ways, I'm, many of my friends are not surprised. They see the correlation, the connection, and it's not going to be a surprise when I say, hey, I'm running for office in Cambodia in the future. Real friends that know me for a long time, they know that I have political ambitions in the country. That's something I really, really talk uh, with the press, uh, but I'm very comfortable to say it right now that that is sort of my transition in the near future, you know, in the next three to five years. Oh, well, then we're going to have to have you on the show again in a few years Not to hear what you're Not doing. I'm curious, as a, an entrepreneur who started your own media outlet and then later the modeling agency, which we'll talk about in a bit, how did you know what to do? You said you had a lot of experience interviewing and writing, but did you have a mentor? How did you know what to do? Were you confident in yourself back then? Like, oh, yeah, this will succeed. I mean, it's a big risk and you clearly need to believe in yourself if you're going to make that kind of decision. I definitely had a lot of mentors in my life, especially during my undergrad years and postgrad years. And to this very day, I call a lot of younger friends and older friends my mentors because I only know what I know through my lived experiences. And so I always was the type of person to never be, was never afraid to ask just for a feedback, just for their time over and you know, to treat them over coffee, just to pick their brains. And so, but Khmerican, at the very beginning, I kind of knew, I kind of felt what I needed to do at the, at the foundation, you know, 
I know what I needed to, to do to get the work running. To share you a little bit of that initial early strategy, when the product is launched, I'm going to have access, I'm going to have a press release and, and circulate it to all the news outlets uh, that I think would be receptive to like Radio Free Asia, Voice of America, or some of my language outlets in the West Coast. I knew that I wanted this to be a national news outlet. So I, I needed, I need a representation in the Providence, in the Minneapolis, in the Seattle's, in the Long Beaches. I was based in Brooklyn where there was very little Cambodians in the first place, mm-hmm. but I knew I had these networks of people already. So I had to give them a call and say, Hey, I'm launching on 7-7-2011. And I, I know you for 10 years. Some of them, many of them I have never met in person yet. Many of them I have through uh, work-related uh, matters. I said, hey, I have a news brand. I, I think you have a good eye and ear in your community. Can you just uh, let me know what's going on in your community? If you hear a story, if you have a, access to a photo, if you have people you want to interview, I welcome them. I'll pay out of my pocket. I don't have much, but you know, this is what I can offer you for your time. Many of my friends who I've cultivated this friendship did it out of, out of love and mm-hmm. out of the friendship that we had built. But I knew that I had to get representation. I knew that I had to build an online presence, even though it's 2011, 12, Facebook was there, of course. We won, uh, we, we jumped our fan page likes pretty high, pretty fast because we were doing this regularly. We were posting stuff every day. I think there was a streak of 760 days, 700 straight days of posting. So when, and I wanted to create a, a news outlet that was totally unconventional and non-traditional. Mm-hmm. So I created like job titles, like community uh, mobilizer. So they're like, basically they're, they're not a re- news reporter. They're there in the communities in the Long Beach. They're going to events and meetings that, that are taking place just because we're strictly a virtual online outlet. We don't have a physical paper. We don't print anything, yeah. never printed anything. So we had to be creative and inventive, make the public trust us and make us relevant to the community. You know, when things got more serious with like, oh, people wanted to invest in us, people wanted to join us and be full-time staff after one year or so then that we got those uh, type of inquiries and interest and then yeah i had to call on people that were lawyers that could incorporate us we needed um, accountants and i'm really bad with money i don't know how to handle it in many ways uh, so we had to write people we had really great relationships with students they interned for us you know these were all things that i had to adapt and learn and, and get feedback from from my peers i'm not a person that is afraid to make mistakes and i've made a lot of uh, friends and coworkers in the past, probably a little bit upset in my decision, but at the end of the day, I think they respect me because I just wasn't afraid to make a, a, a bold move. You know, I'm also the type of person that I'm never afraid to say, I'm sorry. When I realized that, Oh, that what probably wasn't the best choice to do, mm-hmm. but I did it for a reason. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be play it safe. You know, I always wanted to do what's the best in the interest of the company and the vision of the companies that I represented. Definitely. I'm wondering now, as you're talking about this, the timeline, because you said that in 2011, you founded Khmerican. And at some point between then and now, you moved to Cambodia and you were a monk for a certain amount of time. So did you, please share about this. Did you have to decide, okay, I'm going to take a hiatus from Khmerican for monkhood. Please share how how this happened. Uh, one thing the the, the listeners uh, should be aware is that I first moved to Cambodia prior. I had lived there from 05 to 08. I had lived here for almost a full three years, and I was writing most of the time. So when I left in 08 to do a grad program in University of Hawaii, I already knew that I would be coming. I would come back to live here and permanently settle here. 
I just didn't know when and when and what circumstance would bring me back. My Hawaii bro program made me realize that I needed I needed some type of tangible roadmap to the eventual uh, permanency in Cambodia. When I graduated from the Hawaii program, that was a time for me to rediscover again, coming out of three years of Cambodia and going back in the workforce and trying to live in a, in, a, in a city that I never touched foot before until I moved there. You know, I never stepped foot in New York. I wanted the excitement and energy and be part of uh, New York. Monkhood was always part of the equation in a way because for me, uh, I was never really uh, religious. And to this very day, I don't consider myself a religious person. But I respected my my parents uh, and my uh, my my family's sort of culture and history and religion and Buddhism was very visible in their in their livelihoods. You know, I grew up in America all my life from the age of four, and I see it regularly uh, around me when I was under their roof. But for me, I I wanted to become a, a monk because it was the highest form of respect to your parents. In Cambodian culture and a lot of Theravada Buddhist culture, it's very it's a it's a noble act to be a Buddhist monk, as a gesture for your parents. Not that many people in the diaspora communities are doing, are understanding the value of committing a part of your life or your time to monkhood. My monkhood was my transition to Cambodia because I knew that I needed to do this. My father is 82, 83. He's in great shape. Mom has passed away for seven years. Uh, so, so she's been watching me and observing me uh, all this time uh, as my monkhood. I did the monkhood intentionally because I needed I needed that type of detox, that this type of cleansing, this types of disconnection from the world and from business to transition myself. When I go back to Cambodia, it's all business, it's all arts, it's all youth, it's all continuing with my uh, professional journey. I did this at my father's, my mom and dad's village where my father used to be a monk. It's a beautiful story in that by itself because I did this intentionally. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad's home is literally stone throw away from the pagoda that I that we met uh, Tali that time. You know, it was all intentional, and then I did it intentionally in Seattle. That's where I grew up a lot of my uh, adulthood and then my university years. And I went to the oldest Cambodian temple. I did this around seven, six or seven months. It's been the most refreshing and therapeutic experience ever. I intend to do it again. Two more times in my life. I really mm -hmm. share that uh, goal of mine, but uh, but I intend to do it two more times in my life. What do you think you learned during the monkhood that you took with you and use now in your professional, more secular career? Mm. That's a mm. great question, Stephanie. What a question, I, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've I've always considered myself a very patient and very. Uh, uh, non-confrontational and very peaceful person. And to this very day, before the monkhood, I was always that type. You know, being in Cambodia and being in this type of uh, Trump rhetoric, you know, he's, imp he's impacted a lot of people, uh, expats and that are not, not non-Cambodians, and they're 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 being they're a little more aggressive and more forceful towards local people. And, and but in short, like I can I can maintain and tolerate that. Can, a monkhood may be more peaceful and more calmer. Uh, as an individual, as a business leader, I'm not as aggressive when I negotiate with clients for for advertising on American or finding jobs for my talents here and in, in for the agency. I learned how to meditate. That's one. Uh, there was a lot of few practical things that I learned that I still apply today. I wake up very early for the last like five, six years, and I contribute that to my monkhood. I can go out till 2 a.m. in the morning like I did last night, and I still wake up six, seven, <laughs> morning, feed my beautiful cats 
start my day, exercise, and and uh, be productive. Uh, monkhood is something that, regardless of your uh, religious affinity, I think people should consider doing it, especially for men, because that they give access uh, for men to experiences. Women can have a different version of that experience. That I think it's very um, cleansing for the mind mm -hmm. and the spirit and the soul. To this very day, I, 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 I try to do my best to observe holy days, uh, spend less time uh, indulging in and night outings and I learned to be less materialistic. I do have a closet with a lot of clothes. Don't get me wrong because they give it to me for free. You're but, very stylish. <laughs> I always see your style and <laughs> looks. I try to consume less. These things are not necessarily a Buddhist practices, but it, it was heightened uh, during and after my time as a monk. Yeah. So interesting. You have such a, I hope you're going to write a book one day. I hope that's also one of your goals, but no pressure from yes, me. It is. It is. Okay, it is, good. It is good. It Cause is I want to read goals. it. I want to talk more about perfect 10. So you're celebrating the second anniversary of perfect 10, which is a modeling agency in Cambodia. And I just want to hear what inspired you to start it. Also, how did you know what to do? What are your yeah. goals? For the record, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, good. People want to hear that. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I think I know what I'm doing, but and it's working. Oh my goodness, it is working. I came to Cambodia this time not to start a perfect ten agency. That brand, that name was just not even there. I came here for American purposes and other businesses that I wanted to explore. But two years into my residency, I had amassed such a great diverse group of friends, uh, of expats and overseas Cambodians, and young people, uh, young local people, that I kept on hearing the same thing from them. You know, Cambodia is a very young country. 70% uh, is under the age of 30. And I can mingle with all circles because I'm now pretty uh, damn fluent in Khmer, I would like to say. Mm -hmm. But I kept on hearing from young people. When I say young people, under 30, mostly. They wanted to pursue the arts. They wanted to pursue the entertainment field. And they were uh, a lot of them that just, you know that they had this passion because you can see it through their Instagram feed. You can see it through uh, talking with them. And you see that it's in their blood. We always, Cambodians like to say, arts is in our blood. Like if, if you don't know a Cambodian that has any, like an artistic handle of some sort, then he's really not Cambodian. Looking at my family of seven, we have singers, painters, sculptors, handyman, like a, can fix anything and build anything and break anything and then put it back together. I, my siblings are amazing young people, uh, people who can do this stuff. And it's very Cambodian uh, to have some type of artistic uh, lineage. But the problem was, Stephanie, they have what most people lack. They have passion already. But what they lack that I felt that I could contribute was a su support system some mentoring, some guidance, and some structure for them to go forward. Many young people here didn't know how to go about in, in developing themselves as a aspiring model, as an aspiring actor or musician. They produce, but they didn't know how, they had trouble marketing themselves. They're beautiful uh, uh, young people, but they didn't know how to find clients to pitch them or even produce a portfolio to, to attract clients. After hearing this for about two years, I said, okay, let me, I have some free time. Maybe I can devote an hour of my life, my day to, to, to do this with one, one special person. I interviewed three beautiful women, 18, 19, and 20, that I had been friends with already. And I knew that they were into uh, modeling. Of course, they weren't signed with any agencies and they 
never thought about even going into this type of uh, structure. But I said, hey, uh, I want to interview you because I'm interested in uh, possibly managing you with your approval and your parents' approval. And they're like, oh, I'm not serious about it. I'm not serious about it. They were really serious about it, but they weren't really, they weren't sure if I can deliver. And I was pretty confident. I, maybe it went, might be not an overnight sensation. You're not going to be the next Cambodian next top model the next the next morning. But I had confidence in my skills. And uh, and so one person I really enjoy, uh, enjoyed her personality the most. So I, I offered her to her first. And I did I did it with a, I had a strategy too. I didn't want to do it for free. If I offer my time, my skills, my resources for someone for free, I feel that that individual might not take it serious and might not value what I'm trying to offer him or her. So I said, hey, uh, if you agree to this, I want to charge you 100 US dollars per month. Every job that you get in each month, commission free. You get 100% of that payment. $100 covers what my time and other little expenses that will be incurred during that time. The reality, I spent more than 100 Monita Gao was that young individual. She's been with us for about a year and she's been independent from us for a year. She's doing really well. Beautiful young freshman uh, at the university who was very insecure about her body type, her, her skin color, and she didn't have the confidence. She didn't believe that she could do what she's doing right now, which is movies and TVCs and runways and emceeing. She is like a force to be reckoned. Nobody will dare to compete with her because Monita is that strong. And you can see it. I can see it in the people that I meet here in Cambodia. And so the com company didn't, uh, they never had plans to, have to create a company. It was just Monita. But after three or four months, her friend at the university said, hey, Derek, I know uh, you managed Monita. Can you please manage me too? I was like, no, I can't. I, you know, I was at the time I was at the US embassy doing work for them. So I couldn't take any more. But after three or four months of them persistently uh, asking me to monitor, I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll add two or three or four more people. And shortly enough, with, with time, people did see uh, growth and, and they became more confident in themselves and they kind of understand the history. My goal with Perfect 10 is not to buy you fish. I'm not there to buy you fish. I'm there to teach you to fish. I'm not there to hold your hand forever. I'm here to guide you and support you and foster what you want. It's like a, it's like a school. I'm there to introduce you to people so you can learn from him or her. I'm there to... Uh, assess your photos and your casting auditions, give you feedback from my my unprofessional opinion. I am not a model. I don't have uh, any background in this field, but I think I can, I know what a good photo looks like. And I know what a photo doesn't, a good photo doesn't look like. And I pay people who are more experts and professionals to, to give you the feedback of your photos. I'm there to teach you how to negotiate. I will let you look at the contracts that I prepare and I'll tell you why this costs $150 and this is why $300. I teach you how to filter BS from clients. You know, mm -hmm. you play a lot of games in real scenarios. I had a quota of 10 maximum. And sure enough, when 10 reached its, its quota, there were so more, there were so many people that wanted to continue to join. So I had to give in to what the public wanted. And so I expanded the company to more than the 10 roster. Mm -hmm. When we reached 10, I knew that I would change the name to perfect 10 because it's it says it feels right for a modeling agency to, to call ourselves Perfect 10. The company is growing so much and so fast that now I have to make it official. I have to register with the Ministry of Commerce. I have to get a physical office. I want to build a studio and I'm teach, I want to access to more people. So we're going to build the Perfect 10 Academy. 
and it's up to up to 75 uh, students. They go through an intense six month program. Wow. They graduate, quote unquote, and then they get might get an opportunity to be signed as a, a model within the agency. So wow. this this is, and all this was when I had no I had, I kind of didn't really have a clue of what I was trying to do yet. All this was uh, was uh, navigated, just listening into what the parents wanted, what our models wanted, what I thought was perfect was ideal to make them strong, confident young people and let them grow, uh, you know, in the most natural way, you know, taking feedback. We do a lot of evaluations and assessments on a monthly basis. I evaluate the parents. Part of our growth is really just evaluating each other uh, from all different sides. I'll have a lot of great photographers who say, hey, Derek, you shouldn't put this type of photos on your newsfeed because it means this, means that. And mm -hmm. I've, I've always embraced uh, feedback from people. I embrace the haters too. Some say, yeah. this, this girl doesn't belong to a model agency. Why you let her be part of the agency? Like, well, this is my definition of beauty. It's not what you think it is. And if you want to create your own agency, go for it. But, you know, I they don't have to play those type of games anymore with people. But I mm -hmm. remember early on, the first six months, people were like critiquing who we uh, accepted to, uh, to join our roster. And I always tell people, you know, I, I'm, I have a background in journalism and uh, writing. So I have my uh, sort of my criteria is when I interview people for 15 20 minutes I never record anything I never test anything and they never have to perform anything I just evaluate them based off I always tell them based on what's in their heart and what's in their their minds in their brain that's what matters to me you know we have beautiful people from very diverse backgrounds from all uh, sexual orientations uh, to body types and height one woman has a beautiful uh, birthmark on her face and She's been so, uh, she's been beautiful to watch, to watch her transform, to be more confident and more accepting and more uh, embracing uh, herself. Yes, our Perfect 10 is a modern agency and you, you come here to be models, but you really leave Perfect 10 being a leader. That's what we feel like that what we're offering them, you know, opportunities to be stronger, more braver, more confident and, and be able to adjust and adapt and lead your own lives and the lives that you, the people and the communities that you impact the most, you know. What's the website so people can go check out your work? Perfect10kh.com. And our Instagram is perfect10.kh. Amazing. What For you, what's the most rewarding part of running Perfect 10? A lot of things, but the most impactful ones are feedback from individuals themselves and their parents. Uh, I'll bring up one person. One of, we have one African model, African of French roots, beautiful young girl. And she's always been this, I remember her personality when we first interviewed her, she was very, she was, she's 13. That's the youngest that we can accept. She was 13 and she was always curious and always uh, a little bit shy and always calm demeanor and a very, her parents raised really well to be very polite and very respectful. But you knew that she was, she wanted to grow more and to do more things than just uh, reach her fullest potential. Her mom, met me everyone that's under 18 have need parental consent to sign the uh, contract and she and i remember her um, parents sort of challenged me to to help her activate what she believed in her daughter's ability to to do a lot and and cope with some mental uh, psychological issues that she was going through now in short the most memorable moments are people when they transform right in front of you from an individual that was very shy timid that lacks confidence, that lack the self-love, and then they can appreciate who they are and they understand they value themselves and they just become 
like a butterfly. They become sort of free and they become so comfortable. They become so confident. I've seen a lot of that through the, through the experience that we've been giving young people through Perfect 10. And I can, and she was one of the first ones. And so, so for me to see that, wow, people not always up for trying to make money to, to, to be rich or be popular, or famous. They're, that's why I love, I love all my, my talents because, uh, every one of them have different stories, but they have this common ingredient. They really see uh, modeling and being a public figure as an is a way to impact society in, in the, in the world in, in, in the most positive way. And, and they're young and they, people understand that people are looking up to them on and their social media, what they post, what they do, what they share. And these are the types of people that we're attracting, you know? And so uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see everyone transform one by one. I want to be able to, continued spreading that type of uh, energy to to Cambodia and eventually maybe have a perfect 10 in Thailand or Vietnam in the future. Who knows? I'm not the type of person that hides what I learn and succeed. I love, I always tell people, I want you to create a perfect 10 brand. Like just don't use the same name and logo, but do the same thing mm -hmm. we're doing. I'll give you all the company documents. You can shadow mm -hmm. me. All the partnerships we have with people, we'll give it to you. I'm not spreading the love. I'm, yeah, I'm spreading the love. It's such an achievement. So congratulations. I can't wait to see how it grows and evolves. And as you said, with the Academy and just see how it keeps succeeding and we are running out of time. So I guess what I'll ask you is, and you hinted before with the politics, what can we expect from you the next time we sit down, where are you going to be? Or what are some of the things still on your bucket list you hope to achieve? Some immediate goals that I know that is on my list of to do's. Perfect 10 must be registered and must have a cafe, studio, office space for a lot of multi-purpose use. Continue spreading the love and joy and positivity to aspiring young people who wants to express themselves through modeling. That's ongoing until we find a new president to take over my job. Second thing is I need to con uh, kick it in overdrive with my work with Comerican. That's my initial love and still my, my current love. I want to expand and increase the media publicity, media attention on Cambodians in these different continents of Europe and Oceania. So with COVID in, in the picture still, I have to hold it off until, until I can freely move uh, and, and travel. Thirdly, I need to transition to politics. So within, the, within these three years, I need, to, I need to understand how to strategize myself discreetly and, and, and move into that sort of community and that type of uh, circle. You know, I have... I've built great friendships with people here since 05 to 2020. That's 15 years of cultivating and nurturing and planting seeds and planting ideas and, and, and building a, a track record for myself here. So I just need to be more visible and intentional of my journey into politics. I'm not saying I'm, about, I'm going to run for 2023, the next uh, Cambodian national election, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that I would, I'm involved with some the Ministry of Youth from a youth and a youth and culture or the ministry of um, telecom or ministry of information who knows what ministry is relevant for me i will continue to foster my love and and my relationships in america to a lot of people that don't i'm not forever away i'm not forever abandoning uh, uh america I, I always love america i love the people that makes up america i love the communities and the relationships that i've developed with america and i want to continue going back and forth and doing more work uh, i want to do more speaking engagements to campuses. Uh, I do have a book that I want to write within the next three to five years. So 
that will be one uh, excuse, one valid reason to go back and talk to student student communities and community leaders. You're just, it just sounds like you're really a lazy guy, don't have much going on, not many ambitions, haha. Obviously yeah, kidding. See, I, That's amazing. I wish, I, wish can, I wish you can see this. Oh, you can see this, but I wish the viewers can see this because I, I'm not superstitious, but I have a one in a billion uh, palm line. See that straight line? See that yes. double straight line on, yes. on my left and right? It has a lot of meanings, but one person said, I always take this to my heart. One person said, Derek knows his future is straight as a line and he's not going to turn backward. And well, I'm with you. And I know <laughs> that I know you're going to continue achieving great things and you're really representing something so much bigger than you. You're one person, but you're really representing a community, super powerful um, and inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing. You really have quite a unique story. You've done so much. There's so much left to do as well. Hopefully come visit you again soon. Or I'm going to visit you first. Definitely. Yeah, you're definitely yes, invited thank you, to visit. Thank you, thank you so much for uh, inviting me as your guest. It's an honor to share you my time and share you my story. And any viewers that's listening, uh, I welcome all inquiries. I know what I know, and I would love to share everything and anything that you want to, to elaborate. You can find me on social through my full name. There's only one, Pop Tree Derek Pan. So just search that up. You'll see tons of stuff from my personal website to my writings. And if you love food, I have 12,000 photos of food in my Instagram. Just sift through it. Just don't look at it when you're on a diet or you're on <laughs> some at two in the morning because I've made people break their diets, break their <laughs> cravings. <laughs> I love so, it. Thank you. I'll post thank your you info. So Hi, everyone. What really stuck out to me in this episode are the two examples in Derek's career journey of how opportunities came up when he wasn't necessarily planning for them or seeking them out. Coming up with Comerican happened when he felt New York was kicking his butt. He was down on his luck, he didn't have the job he wanted. And then this amazing media outlet was born when he was visiting with those Khmer communities and realizing that Cambodian stories and successes were majorly lacking proper representation in the media. And it happened again, with Perfect 10. Derek didn't always have these plans to start the modeling agency. Just by virtue of hanging out with young Cambodians and expats, he understood they had these ambitions, but didn't have a support system or mentoring, and he saw the opportunity. He started just by working with one person on the side, and that led him to opening a successful modeling agency today. Keep your eyes open. These opportunities can come up when you least expect them. That's it for now.